We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you very, very much, as always, for locking into the podcast today. Gonna have a solo effort. Not going to be a particularly long episode. Of course, today I'm going to be talking about the Buffalo Bills. A big victory on Sunday over the Baltimore Ravens on the road. I'll spend a couple of minutes talking about the game. Some of the big takeaways from it. And maybe a couple of under the radar things. Things that I saw that maybe you saw, maybe you didn't. That I think may be important for the Buffalo Bills going forward. Like I said, a solo effort today. Um, Tomorrow on the podcast, I'm going to have Chad D. Dominicis with me. Of course, Chad is with Expected Buffalo. We'll talk plenty Buffalo Sabres, but we'll also talk some Buffalo Bills. Chad's a well-rounded guy. I mean, he's known for hockey, but if you follow this guy on Twitter, especially during Bills games, you see some really good stuff from him. So I'm looking forward to having him on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, Next week, Joe Yurden will be with me on uh, Tuesday. And like I said last week, Joe's been doing casual Friday episodes with me for uh, more than a year now, but we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. Joe's going to start taping with me on Monday nights and we're going to drop episodes every Tuesday. So casual Friday, at least with Joe Yurden, is going to be a thing of the past. And then the following week on Wednesday, I'm going to have Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic. He's going to be on. And we'll be doing a Buffalo Sabres uh, season preview episode, I'm sure, as well, with Joe the night, the day before. Uh, we'll be talking plenty of Sabres. But anyway, the Sabres open up their season, not this Thursday, but a week from Thursday, October 13th at home against Ottawa. So I'll have Joe on talking about that. I'll have Matt on talking about that. As for the Friday show, I've still got a couple things uh, in the works, trying to finalize a few things. So more on that soon. Obviously, just... Uh, Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets, or if you're subscribed to this podcast, you'll get notifications. I, I I try to keep a set schedule, but right now, like I said, with just so many moving parts, I'm not always quite sure uh, when episodes are going to drop, but you can count on Tuesdays. Pretty soon you'll be able to count on Fridays again, and I'm trying to do as many Wednesday episodes as possible so I can have uh, 
three in a week. But anyway, look out for those. Again, this won't be long. This will be a short episode here. I just want to provide some thoughts, things that I saw from this game on Sunday. Of course, the big story, the Buffalo Bills are now 3-1 and one after four games. And it was a, uh, it was not the prettiest win in Baltimore, but a win nonetheless. And of course, ultimately, that is what matters. Let's start here. I'm going to call myself out. I'm not going to lie. And I know a lot of you, maybe you didn't say it on social media. I did, but I'm pretty confident that plenty of you who are listening to this right now were probably feeling the exact same thing, if not flat out saying it, that I did. And so it was Sunday and I looked at a screenshot because ultimately my cousin called me out on it, which I knew it was coming and I deserve it. But at exactly 1.57 Eastern time, so less than an hour of actual time into this football game, the Baltimore Ravens were playing very well. The Buffalo Bills were playing pretty damn bad. And it seemed just like all the luck was going Baltimore's way and everything that could happen to Buffalo negatively was going on. It was one play specifically. Uh, Baltimore was up, I believe, was already 17-3 to Ravens. And Lamar Jackson went back to pass. And it looked like Vaughn Miller had him dead to water for a sack. Another player, too, I can't remember who it was. But somehow, some way, Lamar Jackson kind of wiggled out of it. He escaped it. Rolled out to his left, just threw a football up around the vicinity of uh, tight end Mark Andrews. Matt Milano was right there. Both of them got a piece of the football, tipped it, went in in the air. I believe Dane Jackson ran past it, and somehow the ball ended up being caught by a, a Baltimore Ravens receiver. I can't remember right now. The name is escaping me off the top of my head. But anyway, he caught a pass, tiptoed right on the sidelines. So it went from being what should have been a sack to what could have easily been an interception or at worst an incomplete pass and it ended up being a Baltimore reception down the sideline. And quite literally at that point, uh, I texted my cousin and I put it out there uh, for the world to see because it was my knee-jerk idiot reaction thought at the time. But I said, this game's over. Literally, that's what I said. Four words, this game is over. That was at exactly 1.57 Eastern time. And again, I know a lot of you out there who are listening to this right now, you either said the same thing or you were feeling the same thing. I, I saw a lot of, especially on Twitter, uh, you could just tell it's not going to be our day. I'm talking about the Bills, of course. Not going to be our day. I took it a step further and I said the game was over. Obviously, I'm glad, very glad to be wrong. The Buffalo Bills did come back. 23 to 20 over Baltimore. And I saw a pretty cool stat. It was from the Bills PR department. So the Bills won 23 to 20 after trailing Baltimore 20 to 3. This was Buffalo's largest comeback victory since September 25th, 2011. When they were playing the New England Patriots, they were trailing that game 21 0. Ended up winning in overtime, I believe that was. 34 to 31. So their largest comeback in more than 11 years for the Buffalo Bills. 
And Sunday marked the 12th time in Bills franchise history where they trailed by 17 points and ended up winning the game. Quite a, a remarkable stat there. And speaking of remarkable, again, the Baltimore Ravens offense just, it was on the field for the entire first half and it felt like they could do no wrong. But as been the case pretty much all season with this Buffalo Bills defense, uh, they made adjustments and they just tightened up. The Ravens ended up going the final 33 minutes and 39 seconds of game time being completely shut out. So more, the last, the whole entire second half in the last three minutes and 39 seconds of uh, the second quarter, Baltimore was held scoreless by the Buffalo Bills defense. And by the way, it's also worth saying that you look at the score 23-20. Let's not forget here that seven of Baltimore's points was gift-wrapped. Uh, a Bills interception on their first series led to a drive, a touchdown drive. I think it might have been less than 10 yards. So pretty much seven points that the Bills defense gave up was actually entirely on the offense. Uh, anyway, Lamar Jackson, again, in the listen, this guy's a great quarterback. He is... Very firmly four weeks into the NFL season. He's dead smack in the middle of uh, NFL MVP talk. I think right now you're talking Lamar. You're talking Josh Allen, of course. You're talking Patrick Mahomes. And you're talking Jalen Hurts from the Philadelphia Eagles. Though They have far and away been uh, the four best players in the NFL over the uh, the first month of the season. But anyway, Lamar Jackson in the first half, dominant. 12 attempts, or I'm sorry, 12 completions on 16 attempts for 108 yards and a touchdown. So he threw for 108 yards and a touchdown and only threw four incompletions in uh, the first half. Second half, a completely different story. Eight of 13 passing, but only 36 yards. And more importantly, he threw two interceptions. The Bills defense forced two turnovers. Um... Of course, the big news is, and it's something that's been going on, uh, we've been discussing for a while, the Bills' one-score streak. It um, ends after losing seven straight games by a score. Last year, the Bills were 0-6 in one-score games, and, and this year they were 0-1. So that was big news, whether it was credible, you know, whether you thought it was a bullshit stat or not. Bottom line was, one-score games, the Bills have not been good. So this was a big win for that reason, too. And circling back to this defense, I mean, what more can you say about the Buffalo defense? Look, Josh Allen gets all the headlines, as he should. I mean, he's every bit as good as we think he is, and sometimes even more. But the story for me over the first month of the season, I think, has been the Bills' defense and adjustments. So they, they, they did not look good in the first half against Baltimore. But they went in their locker room and they fixed things. The Bills defense, not only did they shut out Baltimore on Sunday, but this Buffalo defense has allowed just seven points in the second half all season long. Four games in, seven points total allowed in the second half of Buffalo Bills games this year. That's pretty amazing, man. That's pretty amazing. The Buffalo Bills have outscored their opponents in the second half this year, 63-7. to 63-7. That, that is uh, remarkable. So anyway, we all watch the game. You know, I'm not going to give you a play-by-play -play action here. You already know how the game played out. But following the game, I had what I, what I considered six instant 
takeaways. And I kind of just want to run through those and talk about them a little bit more uh, in depth for each. The first one, Jordan Poyer. He's just a game changer. You know, and here's the thing about Jordan Poyer too. Sometimes it feels like there's other players on the team that they get a lot of name recognition. You know, guys like Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, Von Miller, of course, and a few others. It kind of feels like they're making plays around the ball a lot. Sometimes with Jordan Poyer, the thing about him is it feels like he's he's not really doing much out there. Like you're not seeing him involved in a lot of plays. It feels like, you know, Jordan Poyer, he's doing nothing. He's doing nothing. He's not doing anything. And then bam, bam, game-changing play. He does this all the time. And on Sunday, this came twice. That's what all pro players do. They don't just make plays. They don't just put up stats. They don't just get interceptions. They change games. And for me, man, Jordan Poyer, he simply is, he's that dude. He is a game-changing safety for the Buffalo Bills. And quite frankly, you know, I, I hate making excuses for losses. And of course, I'm talking about Miami because it's the only loss so far this season. All the injuries we talked about. And I remember last week, and we're not going to go through all the guys that missed the game against Miami. You already know. Them. But at the time last week, I said Mitch Morris was the biggest injury and that if he plays, the Bills win. And to some extent, I absolutely still believe that. But after watching on Sunday in Baltimore, I kind of want to change my take. I think the Bills are 4-0 if Jordan Poyer played in Miami. Because, again, he just makes plays. Three games played this year, four interceptions. He had five last year and he made first team All-Pro. He's got four in three games right now. And again, the, the second interception against Lamar, might have saved the game for the Bills. Very well might have saved the game for the Bills. He's just an impact player. He's a, he's a game changer. And, and that's what all pro players do. So Jordan Poyer, man, him being back in the lineup was huge. Thought it was pretty interesting that DeMar Hamlin got the start over Jaquan Johnson. I think that's because DeMar Hamlin plays a little bit more of a, a Micah Hyde role. And again, Going back to last week, I thought the Bills defense did a very good job against Miami, all things considered, especially having quite literally none of the starters available in the secondary by the second quarter. So one play, uh, Jalen Waddell beats Jaquan Johnson badly and DeMar Hamlin's at split second get in there late. I feel like if Jordan Boyer was out there, he doesn't get beat badly. And, and that play downfield, doesn't happen. But anyway, that's just my point, man. Jordan Poyer is just such a, a good player. And uh, I don't know how it's going to play out with the contract. And it sucks that every time he does something, we're talking about this contract. Because we all know he wants a contract. I mean, he got a raise for this year. But he's going to be a free agent after this year. And we all know that, you know, the Bills got other priorities as well. Uh, a long-term deal with Ed Oliver. Uh, Tremaine Emmons is going to be a free agent. So we don't know where that money's going to come from. But I'm... And also the Bills have young safeties in Jaquan Johnson. Micah Hyde will be back. Tamar Hamlin. But man, more and more as you watch Jordan Poyer play for this team, you realize his significance and his importance. And if there's any, any possible way that they can find a way where both sides can kind of come to some kind of uh, some kind of compromise and Poyer can play another year or two here beyond just this season, it would be incredible because 
He's just a game changer. So anyway, that's my one of my biggest takeaways. Another one are, are the linebackers. And again, I'm not telling you anything right now that you don't know. Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds were both really, really, really good in Baltimore, especially Matt Milano. They each had two tackles for a loss. Just, again, an outstanding game, especially Milano, man. He had an open field tackle, one-on-one with Lamar Jackson, a couple hard hits, drilling guys behind the line of scrimmage. He also did that in Miami as well. I mean, he did drop a pick six in Miami. Did have a pick six against Tennessee. I'm just saying this, and I'm being honest, man. I think right now, Matt Milano is one of the best linebackers in the NFL as far as I'm concerned. For him, it's just a matter of staying healthy, which is not a given because he just plays such tough, physical game and he's not the biggest linebacker but man he was filling gaps chasing guys down being physical he's such a good player and as for Tremaine Edmonds look he's changing my mind even more so than last year so far in 2022 he's really changing my mind I've been on social media for a while and I have voice my opinion that I think Tremaine Edmonds has been, at least to some extent, overrated. I didn't think he was a Pro Bowl player last year. Now, he had his moments last year. He shined at times. But I've been like this. My problem with Tremaine Edmonds for four years running now has been where are the splash plays? Where are the impact plays? Where are the game-changing type plays from Tremaine Edmonds. Forget tackles. I don't care just about tackles. But this year, we're seeing it, man. He's had a sack this year. He's had a couple big tackles for a loss. Hunting guys down. He just looks different to me, man. Tremaine Edmonds, he always has played fast, but now he's playing aggressive. And I mean way more aggressive than I've ever seen from him. So, and again, so we're clear. I have, I have not been the biggest Tremaine Edmonds supporter. And I, I like to call it like I see it. I'm not a hater. There's a lot of people on social media who think Tremaine Edmonds has been overrated and they just hate on him and they don't want to give him credit, even when he plays well. I've given him credit where I felt it's due. I just don't think he's consistently been a, a splashy enough player to justify very likely, if it's not Buffalo, it's going to be somewhere. Somebody's going to pay this man a lot of money, and I have not been in favor at all of the Buffalo Bills giving Tremaine Edmonds a long-term deal. But I'll tell you what, man, he's really starting to, uh, he's changing my mind with his play, which again, so far, we're four weeks in, four games in, I think has been absolutely stellar in 2022. He's playing like a heat-sinking missile out there. He's playing fast, and he's playing hard, and he's playing aggressive, and, he, and he's attacking the football. And I wonder how much it might have to do with the defensive tackles in front of him. I don't know if it's the scheme difference. I don't know if the light bulb just clicked in his head. I don't know if Daquan Jones is very underrated at defensive tackle. I don't know if he's hogging up blockers and giving Edmonds better looks at the ball carriers or the quarterback. But Jermaine Edmonds, so far for me, far and away is having his best year. And I already think the world of Matt Milano as it is. By the way, I got to throw this out there. Shout out. Matt Milano is my son's favorite player. And my son played high school football. He's played football for a long time. He's always been a linebacker. So he really locks in on the linebackers. And uh, yeah, Milano's his guy, man. And for good reason, because he's been 
so damn good, man. But anyway, Matt Milano, Jermaine Emmons, you really see their value when you play against a quarterback as dangerous as Lamar Jackson. And I thought both of them were outstanding on Sunday. Uh, another point, third of six here. As for Josh Allen, I mean, look, he never ceases to amaze me. He just doesn't. He was, you know, he wasn't that good in the first half. I mean, let, let, let's be real here. Not entirely his fault, though. I mean, you look at his numbers. First half, 5 of 13 for just 42 yards, and he had one carry for eight yards rushing. And this was like, that was actually, that was his numbers with two minutes to go before the half. He was getting passes knocked out at the line. It just, something just felt off with him to some extent. Anyway, not his best half of football. I think we can all agree on that. Now that said, wasn't all on Josh Allen, the Bills woes early on when it came to the offense. Drops, lots of drops, way too many drops. So it wasn't just on Josh. I don't know, but he wasn't playing at that MVP all-world level that we're starting to expect from him, and for good reason. But again, not good in the first half or most of the first half. But over the last 38 minutes of the game, Josh's stats were 14 to 23 for 173 yards, one touchdown pass, and then he ran for 62 yards on eight carries with another touchdown rush. And we're not going to count down uh, the two kneel downs at the end. I refuse to count them. So technically... He had 10 carries, but uh, in reality, he, he only had eight. He just, again, it's not even just the numbers. It's the, the way he's able to take this team and put the game on his shoulders. Not once, it was at least twice. He evaded a sack twice, and especially the second one. When he hit uh, Khalil Shakir for that big first down just before the two-minute warning, that was one of the maybe three biggest plays of uh, the entire game. And that touchdown run, he just willed himself into the end zone in the third quarter. It just felt like one of those games where Josh said, you know what, I'm not playing really good, but I got to find a way to to get this team uh, a victory. Which reminds me so much of Jim Kelly when he played for the Bills. Their styles are completely different. The only thing similar about them too is they both love throwing the football. But I mean, their game, their styles are different. But one thing that Josh Allen and Jim Kelly definitely have in common is just that killer mentality, that winner mentality. And I remember being a Bills fan growing up, so many games, as good as the Bills offense was, just like the Bills now, it would be frustrating at times. And Jim Kelly would throw the ball into triple coverage and throw a couple of the ugliest picks you've ever seen. He would kind of stink up the field for two, sometimes even three quarters. But when it became money time, and they had to put a drive together or they had to put a comeback together, whatever it may be. Jim Kelly would find a way to play his best football when it mattered most. And the Bills, more often than not, would uh, find their way to victory. That's what Josh Allen is doing in games like this Baltimore game. Like I said, he put this team on his shoulders. He made a couple great plays. The offense around him, quite frankly, was not good. They, they, they couldn't run block to save their lives. The pass protection was all right. Receivers were dropping balls, making mental errors, making physical errors all over the place around him. So he wasn't getting any help. But uh, yeah, he, he just, he does Josh Allen things and we come to know it. It's it just, like I said, he just, he never ceases uh, to amaze me. By the way, a, a stat I saw from, um, I want to make sure I give credit to the right person. It was uh, Alania Getzenberg from ESPN. The Bills are now 21 and one when Josh Allen has a pass touchdown and a rush touchdown in the same game. So yeah, man, Josh just, what more can you say? 
Another takeaway, I mentioned him, Khalil Shakur. I, w- I want to see more of him now going forward. And I think we're going to, if for no other reason, injury purposes. So Jamison Crowder broke his ankle on Sunday. We found that out on Monday. And this team's already down Jake Kumaro. Isaiah McKenzie left with uh, concussion protocol on Sunday, although it seems he's going to be fine. We all know about Gabe Davis being hobbled with the ankle. So it's taking injuries for J- or Khalil Shakir to get an opportunity. I really like what I saw from him in the second half. He had two catches for 23 yards. He, he took a screen pass and went 14 yards in the third quarter, which was a big play. Led to a touchdown on uh, Josh. I think they capped it off with the Josh Allen touchdown run. And then on uh, the play where I said Josh Allen evaded a sack twice on the same play, rolled out to his left and, and threw a pass for a first down. It went to Shakir. It was nine-yard catch on, I believe it was a third and three in the in the fourth quarter on that game-winning drive. Jamison Crowder, I, I mean, look, he, he was a proven veteran coming on to this team, but I haven't really seen anything from him for the first four months that got me excited. And quite frankly, I thought he was terrible before the injury, which I believe happened on a punt. I can't remember. It might've been a punt return. I don't remember. I think it was. But anyway, regardless, Jamison Crowder had two drops, bad drops. One of them was a a key third down pass. The ball sailed right through him. You could see on the replay, he took his head and he looked upfield before he caught it. It was was a slant up the middle. So at that point, man, I was already clamoring for uh, Khalil Shakir. It sucks that Jamison Crowder had to break his ankle for that to happen. I mean, that really sucks. But I like what I see from Shakir. Two catches again, 23 yards. He'll probably be returning punts going forward as well. Um, We've liked him throughout training camp in the preseason. And understandably, Sean McDermott does not like to thrust rookies into action unless they've either earned it or he needs to. Well, in this case, they need him. They need him with the injuries. I like what I saw, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing more of him. And sticking with the wide receivers, Gabe Davis, man. I mean, this dude needs to get healthy. He's not himself right now, and it's so obvious. Just one catch for 13 yards on Sunday. And he had two very, very catchable drops. No impact at all in Miami the week before. And look, you're not going to find somebody who is a bigger Gabe Davis guy than me. I promise you that. I love Gabe Davis. I was calling him the next Mike Evans literally before anyone else. And I know that sounds ridiculous at times. And it especially sounds ridiculous right now. But look, man, there's nothing wrong with Gabe Davis except for one thing. The dude's ankle is hurt, man. He's hurt. He's trying to play through an injury and it's not working right now. He's just not effective. I'm sure this ankle is hampering him physically. I mean, we can all see that. And I also think, quite frankly, that this injury is hampering him maybe uh, mentally a little bit. I mean, he dropped in the, I don't want to say he dropped a touchdown in Miami because the Miami defender didn't make a play on the ball in the end zone, kind of knocked it out of his hands. But that ball touched both his hands in Miami. And the Gabe Davis that I've come to know comes down with that ball. And it continued into this week. He uh, He's not right. And uh, I don't know, man. If I'm Sean McDermott, I'm at least considering temporarily benching, putting him on the shelf, whatever you want to call it, to get his ankle right. Because right now, This is not the Gabe Davis that we've seen 
uh, when he's had the opportunity over the last year or two. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. That was a pretty big takeaway. And then another one that I wanted to talk about as well is uh, Dawson Knox. You know, look, this kid had huge plays, man. Three catches for 40 yards, including a clutch uh, third down catch in the fourth quarter that was on the game-winning drive. And he got hit hard. He got cut under when he caught the ball. He held on to it. But you, you look at his stats right now. So through four games, 12 catches, only 12 catches for 111 yards. And he has yet to find the end zone once after uh, having a tight end record nine last year with the Bills. But I don't throw those stats in the garbage because to me, he's playing well. He's had big catches. I think he's done a great job of blocking. He's had a couple key blocks over the last few weeks. I like Dawson Knox a lot. And I really hope people are not reading into his stats right now because I don't think they mean much at all. He got his long-term deal already before the season started. So he's going to be here for a while. I really like what I'm seeing from him again. He's not going to, he caught 49 passes last year. I don't know that he's going to do that this year. Nine touchdowns. Again, he hasn't even found the end zone once, but his time's going to come. He's going to get in the end zone. He's going to make plays. He's doing a really good job of blocking. I got zero problem with uh, Dawson Knox. I thought he was a standout good player for the Bills um, in Baltimore. A couple of under-the-radar things as well I want to hit on real quick. Shaq Lawson, I don't even think I saw him in the first half, but he played half of the snaps on the defense in the second half. I thought he played a really, uh, really good game. Uh, Teron Johnson and others, whoever was responsible for watching Mark Andrews, I thought they did very well. Mark Andrews came into the game 22 catches, 245 yards, three touchdowns in three games. Obviously, one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the entire NFL. Um, on Sunday, five targets, two catches, 15 yards. Now, we did draw two penalties. Whatever, man. The Bills, Teron Johnson especially, did a really, really good job on uh, Mark Andrews. I think that needs to go noted. And then the other thing, too, and, and again, he left with a with head injury. And all signs point to him being fine, but uh, Bills fans and others, including myself, came into the season wondering if Isaiah McKenzie would be able to step into a, a starting slot wide receiver role and play well. I think so far, the answer resoundingly has been yes. Now, it hasn't been perfect. You know, the, the, the guy's got a lot of physical skills. He's fast. He's elusive. He's making plays. He also does something sometimes that, that anger you. You know, the way the Miami game ended, although in fairness to him, I don't think he would have made it out of bounds had he tried and he was trying to get into field goal range and they almost got the kickoff. So I don't blame that on him as, as much as maybe some of you do. But still, you know, he's made a couple of mental errors out there. There was a play that drove me crazy in Baltimore on Sunday. It was second down and McKenzie caught a pass and right near the first down marker and instead of just falling forward and making sure he got the first down, Kind of by instinct, took a step or two back, trying to make something happen. Ended up getting tackled a yard be, uh, before the third down marker. And then the the Bills would have been miserable on third and short all season long. They failed to convert and ended up punting. That was on Isaiah McKenzie for not falling forward. And I kept thinking, I'm not going to lie. At that time, I was like, man, Cole Beasley catches that ball. He falls forward. I remember saying that. But anyway, my point was this. He's made a couple mistakes but all in all Isaiah McKenzie I, I think he's been excellent um everything the Bills realistically could have hoped out of him right now through four games he's on pace for 64 catches 
650 yards, and 13 touchdowns because he's already got uh, three touchdowns this season in just four games. And that's, by the way, in a semi, well, at least it has been a semi-timeshare role in the slot as well because James Lee Crowder has seen some time in there. So you're talking about a guy on pace for 64 catches, 650 yards. If I told you before the season that's what you'd get from Isaiah McKenzie, you would be very happy with that. I think you would anyway. I know I would be. So I like what I'm seeing from Isaiah McKenzie. Again, just cut down on a, a couple of the mental blunders, and, and I think you really have uh, something there. Anyway, I do got a couple negative things, a couple negative takeaways from this game, and uh, we'll get back to that. And then I got a couple things uh, for the Bills, and, and actually in regards around the league. So I'll be right back. Plenty more. Buffalo Bills 3-1 and one after beating the Ravens. Be right back, folks. Sports fans who like to wager, I'm here to tell you about Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If you're looking for a one-stop space on these interwebs to compare odds live up to the minute, look no further than Odds Trader. Why is Odds Trader so valuable to you? Well, for starters, it's the perfect place to compare betting odds and lines from all the major sports books. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you're liking a team, you want to throw down some cash on them. You're getting your choice of what's getting you the best odds, the best lines. It's a chance to find the highest payouts if you're betting on the underdogs or whether you're profiting the most if you're going with the favorites. Odds Trader also allows you to compare all the different signup codes and promos from the sports books so that you can get the best deal out there for you. If that's not enough, Odds Trader, the app, also gives you player stats, key game stats, injury reports, projected game day weather, which by the way, that could be a huge thing to know in certain situations. Odds Trader also has a betting tracker so they can keep records of all your games that you have wagers on and all your betting activity. Simply put, Odds Trader gives you quite literally everything you need to make the most informed bets humanly possible. If you're in this betting on sports games, any sport, by the way, make sure you go to oddstrader.com slash bluewire. Again, that's oddstrader.com slash bluewire. Oddstrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back. You know, I got to work on my damn transitions. I talked about this with Joe Yurder last week, man. One of my biggest flaws, whether it's solo, whether it's having a guest, is when I go to break, 
or when I end the podcast and I transition to the outro, just I always seem to screw it up. So today's been uh, no exception. But anyway, lots of positives to take away from the Bills beating Baltimore, which look, when you went on the road against a quality opponent, there's going to be a lot of positives. But there were a couple of negative things too. And I wanted to hit on those briefly as well. Uh, one of them is, and they, again, ultimately they got away with it. So it doesn't really matter, but you don't want to make a habit of this. Uh, the Bills played that entire first quarter and a half quite literally like they were suffering from the biggest uh, Miami hangover in history. And again, quite frankly, they were down at one point 20 to three. And I thought they were kind of lucky to be down 20 to three. I mean, again, drops, passes by Josh Allen, batted down, deflections, dumb mistakes. I talked about McKenzie going backwards on a catch. That's just one of the many things I'm talking about. Baltimore just dominated and Bills made it easy on them in the first half or most of the first half anyway. Baltimore ended up having the ball for over 21 minutes in the first half. You don't want to make a habit as good as the Bills are. And we've already talked about, I do that stat out there, how good they've been in the second half, especially the third quarter where they're just murdering teams. And with the exception of this game, the Bills have been scoring a touchdown literally on their first drive of every game. But you don't want to make a habit of playing a quarter and a half of just horrible football because, again, had Baltimore been a little bit more efficient with just a couple things, it could have been more than 20-3. to It could have been 27-3, even 30-3, to and the lights would have been out right there. So I didn't like that. Um, like a lot of you, I, I have a problem with how the Bills are running the football right now. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to this rookie James Cook, I think the Bills, Sean McDermott specifically, because ultimately he's responsible and in charge. I think you either need to give James Cook a vote of confidence or I think you need to make him inactive. Don't even play him at all if you're not going to have more confidence in him. Promote Duke Johnson from the practice squad or something because this has happened now twice. So the kid's a second round pick. The team obviously thinks highly of him. And you open up the season in L.A. And the first time James Cook rushes the football, he touches the football, he fumbles it. And he loses it. What happens after that? He didn't see a touch again. He did not touch the ball. I'm not even sure he played another snap again in L.A. Okay? I don't remember what he did in week two against Tennessee. Not too much. But last week in Miami, he looked pretty good. I think he caught five or six passes. I, I was remembering thinking to myself, I'm like, in fact, I talked about it on the podcast last week. I'm all right. I can see this kid starting to get more involved in his offense and, and have a bigger role going forward now. I can see it. Well, in Baltimore, he drops a pass. He should have caught. I mean, it was a bad drop. And then he does not see the target, a single target again for the rest of the afternoon. Not one. And he barely played too. I feel like at this point, being a rookie on a team with so many good players, so many veterans, so many leaders like a, a Josh Allen and a Stefan Diggs and, and a Dawson Knox on this offense. It's like, I feel like this kid's probably playing right now. He's afraid to make a mistake. And that's just no way to play football. Now, I know Sean McDermott's philosophy with running backs. We've seen it for the last few years between Singletary and Moss. You make a mistake, you put the ball on the ground, you're gonna, your ass is going to get a seat on the bench. I don't like that with this James Cook. I don't think that's the way you handle a rookie. Have confidence in him. He drops a ball, go back to him again. He fumbles a ball, don't bench him for the rest of the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, give the kid an opportunity to uh, 
redeem himself. Let him play with some confidence. Let him feel like he's playing free instead of playing to not make a mistake. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like I feel like that's how he's playing right now, and I don't like it. I don't think, rookie or not, I don't think that's a way to handle a player. So either say, hey, we're going to come right back to you, kid, and make up for your mistake, or just don't even dress him. Make him inactive. Like I said, promote Duke Johnson. But I don't like that at all. Um, that's not just him. I mean, it's a whole running game, generally speaking. I mean, on that first, Jordan Boyer had two picks. On that first pick, the very next play, Ken Dorsey, who, by the way, I should have put this in my bigger takeaways. You know, we talk about the defense making key adjustments. I thought Ken Dorsey was awful in the first half of play calling, and then I thought he was brilliant in the second half. I love the way the Bills changed some things up, with the exception of one thing, folks. So Jordan Poyer gets that interception, and on the very, very next play, first down, Zach Ball smash right up the middle, one yard. How many times have we seen that? Zach Moss, handoff up the middle for a yard. Never again. Please, 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 never again. Running Zach Moss up the middle is almost like surrendering a drive. It really is. By the way, that drive, the Bills ran Zach Moss. Mm -mm. They punted. That turnover by Jordan Poyer, it turned into a three and out punt for the Bills. So we're a month in now. And Zach Moss had a 43-yard run against the Titans, which was a nice run. He bounced it outside, saw something, showed a little bit of speed, and he picked up 43 yards. Nice run. Aside from that 43-yard run, though, Zach Moss this season, 15 carries, 41 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. Only 2.7 yards per carry. That's not good enough. And, and, and again, he can't get these tough yards. And it's not all on him, by the way. It's also the line, but he just, it just seems like he has no vision. He just likes to run into things as hard as humanly possible. And if you're not going to be effective in short yardage, which has killed, if there's one flaw for the Bills through a month now, their short yardage offense has been bad. And if Zach Moss can't get you that yard on third and one or fourth and one, whatever it may be, then to me, he's got no role on this team, no purpose on this team. I'll go back to the same guy again. Deactivate him or put him on waivers for that matter. I don't care. And bring up Duke Johnson. Or I think it bring you something different. And it's not, again, Moss, we're talking Cook. Devin Singletary is clearly the best of these three and has done the most good things. And he, made, he did a lot of good things in uh, Baltimore on Sunday. But he also dropped the pass. And then the next time he carried the ball, he fumbled and he lost it in the first half, which again, Baltimore kind of failed to to put that game away when they should have. So Singletary, turnover prone as well. But McDermott, unlike the other two, McDermott has to go back to him because it gets even worse on the depth chart after him. So the Bills running backs continue to be something that uh, that is worrisome. And I'm not big usually on big name trades and you know these fantasy trade options, these Madden options, but I'll tell you right now, and I know it's basically fan or maybe a little bit media driven. But if Saquon Barkley is available for trade, I really forget Odell Beckham Jr. I give me Saquon Barkley instead. I really think the Bills, you go get a running back like Saquon Barkley somehow and it only costs you a second or a third, something like that. And if you can make it work cap wise, I think he makes this offense utterly 
unstoppable. So anyway, running backs have been a problem. Uh, we talked about Gabe Davis. Like I said, he's clearly affected by this ankle injury. He's dropping passes. He's not getting open. No separation. I think the ankle's bothering him physically. I think he's m- messing with his focus. And uh, like I said, if if it was me, if I'm Sean McDermott this week, and again, I don't know what the injury situation is going to be, but let's just assume McKenzie's going to be fine. So you got health-wise, you got Diggs, you got McKenzie, you got Shakir. Um, that's only three. So maybe it's, you know, easier said than done. But I, if if it's me and I can find a way to get Gabe Davis out of this lineup for a week, off practice, rest the ankle, get 100%, I'm going to bench you for a week, shelf you for a week, whatever you want to call it. This is the week to do it, playing Pittsburgh at home. I would highly suggest it if they can find a way, if they feel good enough about maybe bringing up Isaiah Hodgins for a week from the practice squad because you got to have at least four you know, healthy receivers out there. But this would be the time to do it. Get him right now. You're playing Pittsburgh because uh, they're going to quite literally need him the following two weeks. And I'm not talking about the Gabe Davis we've seen the last two weeks. I'm talking about the Gabe Davis that we saw all of last year in flashes before that because they got Kansas City on the road, Green Bay coming up, the two games after Pittsburgh. So if you can get away with it, man, get this guy healthy, get him right. Maybe you consider sitting him. Um, I, 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 like I said, it's an opportunity for Shakir now with Crowder gone. And if you can bring up Hodges for a week or, or come up with some solution, I think this is a good week to do that. Um, and, and the other thing, semi-negative, although he did make up for it with a play. The injuries to, to Jordan Phillips and Ed Oliver, they clearly hurt them in Miami. And I think they hurt them to maybe to a lesser extent, lesser extent, of course, because they ended up winning anyway. But uh, Jaquan Jones, I think, has played very, very well. Stats don't ever do him justice. They never will. But they're not getting much from Brandon Bryan and uh, Prince Amelie in place of Oliver and Phillips. Now, I know Prince had a a tip on the pass that was ultimately intercepted by Poyer. But, man, you could see J.K. Dobbins. they They were just pulling the defensive tackles apart. There were gaping holes from the run through. They're not getting any kind of real penetration in the pass rush from these guys, not on any kind of consistent basis now over the last two weeks. And I get it, man. These are practice squad players who are forced into a, basically a starting role with um, the injuries, which by the way, I'm a big Tim Settle fan, or at least I was coming into this season. I loved the free agent signing from Washington, but let's be real here, man. I know he missed the game because of injury too, but Last two weeks, Tim Settles had plenty of opportunities to to make his his presence known, make an impact with the Bills, and he, honestly, he's really done nothing. So anyway, hopefully, I, I think Jordan Phillips is going to be out for at least another one or two weeks, but hopefully this is the week where they get Ed Oliver back and that'll start to make a difference uh, on the defensive line. Look, to summarize this stuff, man, the, the Bills, I, I think they've really done a good job so far this year of game planning on defense, and I think the, the plan has been to take away the opponent's biggest threat. And it's certainly been obvious the past three weeks and effective. Like I said on Sunday, Mark Andrews, two catches were just 15 yards. The week before, we were all shitting ourselves. Let's just be real here, man. No Dane Jackson, no Poyer, no Hyde. Of course, no Trey White. And they're going against Tyreek Hill. I was horrified, like most of you. Tyreek Hill only had two catches for thirteen or for 33 yards. I'll sign up for that any day of the week, no matter what. And uh, again, I, at least part of that is due to game planning. I mean, the Leslie Frazier has come up with some really good game plans to uh, stop 
the, the biggest threat. Tennessee, Monday night. Derrick Henry, 13 carries, 25 yards. So I think it's obvious. Now, the Bills' philosophy so far is just take away their best player and make someone else beat you. Now, Cooper Cup had good stats against the Bills to open up the season, but a lot of them were meaningless catches, and uh, quite frankly, some of them were garbage time stats. I'm just really impressed right now by the way the Bills are are taking away the best players. I'm surprised more teams don't try to do that to the Bills, quite frankly, where, hey, we're going to double-team Stephon Diggs every single play. And if Isaiah McKenzie has 11 catches for 172 yards or Dawson Knox has six catches for 120 yards or or Devin Singletary runs for 140 yards, I'm going to tip my cap to you. I'm not going to let Stephon Diggs beat me. That's been the Bills' philosophy right now on defense. Clearly, it's working. Uh, as, for, as for the game, look, to me, the Bills essentially made up for last week. They went to Baltimore. And they won a game that they had no business winning. Let's just be real here. The Bills did not have any business winning that game. Baltimore should have blew them out of the stadium. The Bills were playing bad. The weather was a factor. The rain, for sure. The way they were dropping passes, just things. The Bills did not look right. Baltimore's prime to blow them out, and they let them right back in. So I think the Bills won a game. They should not have won, just like last week. I don't think the Bills had any business losing in Miami. For the most part, they dominated that game. In Miami, the Bills gave the game away. This week, I think the Baltimore Ravens gave the game away. But the most important part is this. To me, now maybe I'm wrong, folks, but whether the narrative, whether it's accurate, whether it's fair, whether it's not, I think the Bills needed to win a close one-score game in the final few minutes. I really, truly do. Honestly, I, I'm happier that the Bills won by a field goal on the last play of the game and got the ball and went down the field and kicked the field goal. I'm happier, more satisfied with that than I would have been had the Bills went to Baltimore and beat them 41-10. to Because we've seen that a million times. The Bills sometimes are just the better team. They go out, they, they own you, they, they, they put their flag in the middle of your, on your 50-yard line and they blow you off the field because they are the superior football team. We've seen that a lot. What we have not seen, and again, you could dispute the accuracy or, you know, there's always angles and things you can you could say to, to refute something. But the bottom line is, when a team has punched the Bills in the mouth over the last year or so, the Bills have struggled, especially if it's in the fourth quarter and it's a tight game. So interpret that any way you want. But my point is this. To go down there, to to play as bad as they did, to come back, to be in a tight game, to make a play, Jordan Poyer, to set up a long game-winning drive, which was 74 yards before the field goal there. I think that's really important. I think that's better than destroying Baltimore. Because I think, whether they want to admit it or not, and it's just my opinion, I think losing these close games have weighed on them. Yeah, maybe they don't want to admit that, but I believe it to be true. And I, I think it was important to get that monkey off their back. You know, no matter how good you are at something or how good your team is, when it's a close game and you find ways to lose, I think you might get that mentality, at least to some extent of, oh shit, man, here we go again. What's going to go wrong? What's going to be the mistake that costs us this game? So I, it was really important to get that win in the way they did. I think it'll serve them well going forward because at the end of the day, 
if you're going to be a championship football team, as good as you are, and there probably won't be a time on the field where they might not be the favorite for the rest of the season. I don't know. Maybe they will be an underdog in Kansas City by a point or two, but I, I think it's important to know mentally that we don't have to, to blow teams out to win football games. When you're a championship team, luck is involved. Winning close games is involved. You're not going to win stylistically every week by blowing teams out. So I think it was really important to win this game, no matter how much stock, if any, you put into the Bills record in one-score games. I think this was very good for them, not just for Sunday, but I think going forward. Uh, the AFC after four weeks. Beyond the Bills, 3-1. and one, I think that's probably where we, going into the season, we would have expected. I'm not sure we would have expected the Bills to lose in Miami, but we could have said, all right, well, I could see them losing in LA, or I could see them losing in Baltimore to start the season. 3-1 and one's about where I, where I think they should be. As for the rest of the AFC, I think Kansas City is absolutely right there. They ain't going anywhere. They're 3-1. and one. They looked really impressive in Tampa on Sunday night. They beat Arizona to start the season. Uh, they beat up the Chargers. So that's their three wins. They had a, a loss, I think a field goal loss. Indianapolis, just a bad game. You know, the Bills didn't play well in Miami either. But I think Kansas City's absolutely right there. I felt before the season, Tier 1, Bills, Kansas City, 1A, 1B with Cincinnati right there. And I still feel the same exact way about Cincinnati. Cincinnati's very good. I don't care about them being 2-2. Two and two. I think they're a good team. I think their offensive line's been a disaster early on, but I think they're going to start to figure that out. And as you get better protection for Joe Burrow, that offense is going to get even better. I think they got enough on defense to uh, stay in the mix the entire year. So Kansas City, Cincinnati, right about where I thought they'd be. Uh, I think Miami's a, uh, a true wild card. And I'm not talking about like making the wild card as a playoff team. I'm just talking about a wild card period. The, how good they are depends truly on, on Tua's health. And it depends on how well Tua could play. If he could sustain the level that he played the first two games and in the Buffalo in, in the third game. So uh, yeah, Miami's the kind of team they could, they could beat anybody. But that I could also see they could lose to almost anybody as well if Tua's not playing well. Uh, the Chargers have issues. Uh, the Ravens have issues. We saw it on Sunday, which two weeks ago at home, they blew a three-score lead, a three-touchdown lead against the Dolphins. I think they've lost like five straight home games or something crazy like that. Um, and the last two losses, they've had three-score leads at home, and, and they've blown them both. So I think the Chargers have issues because of injury. Uh, I think the Ravens have issues because they just can't close teams out. Uh, I think the Denver Broncos, who are supposed to be really good with the Russ Wilson acquisition, I think they stink. Their offense certainly stinks. I think Russell Wilson is closer to being cooked at this point than he is cooking. Uh, they lost Javante Williams, too, for the season with a torn ACL, so that's going to hurt them even more. Good defense, but I don't trust their offense. I'm not worried about Denver. Uh, the Raiders, you know, they got talent. They got good players, but they're 1-3 right now. Uh, the Colts are badly underachieving, which seems to be the case more and more with these quarterbacks. I mean, they did beat the Bills handily last year, but Matt Ryan is not it. He's just not it. They're one, two, and one. They're badly underachieving. I would say probably the biggest surprise in AFC through the first four weeks has been the Jaguars. They're two and two. They've been competitive. They're playing very well. They're in an AFC South that's pretty weak. Tennessee is a middle of the pack team. I think Indianapolis, I was wrong before the season. I thought they'd be a top two seed in the conference. I think the Colts at best are a middle of the pack team. 
So I think Jacksonville at two and two is going to have an opportunity to uh, stick around for a while, man. But again, the big story, the Bills are three and one after four weeks. Uh, a great opportunity. I don't want to, you know, I know they're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and on the paper, it's like they're a two touchdown favorite and it's a gimme. But the Steelers have come into Buffalo and the Steelers have played the Bills very tough the last few years. In fact, they beat the Bills last year at home, the Bills home opener. Uh, I know they're a disaster at quarterback, so there's lots of issues. And of course, no TJ Watt. That's the biggest thing that uh, hurting Pittsburgh right now. But I'm not ready to quite call that a, a gimme. But the Bills should be 4-1 going into Kansas City and Green Bay. And man, oh man, those are going to be uh, two big games. But anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. I said this was going to be short. Like always, I lied. So that will be in a full episode. Uh, make sure you're here tomorrow. I'll have Chad Diminis. Chad Diminis. And we'll be talking uh, some Bills and Sabres, among other stuff. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.